0: Continue. Stand, please. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the Book of Acts, Book of Acts, chapter number seventeen. This evening, Acts chapter seventeen. I don't trust you had a nice afternoon. I guess it just depends where you lived. If you got some rain, I know some folks didn't. We didn't get any rain till we got uh, here to the church, and I could see it rain. I told my wife, "I'm gonna try to get you here before the rain falls," and it. Started raining when we got up here to Lock Mountain Road, and uh, so. But we don't melt, all right? We walk between the drops. But uh, thank the Lord for a beautiful day He gave us. Amen. And it's a good way to end out Sunday is being in church. Amen. Acts chapter number seventeen. We're going to read verses fifteen through twenty-one, and then we're going to go to another verse in the same chapter after we're finished with that. I'll read verse one, our verse. I'm sorry, verse fifteen, and uh, then you join me on sixteen and down through verse number twenty-one. And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus, for to come to him with all speed they departed. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews, and with the devout persons, and the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, What will this babbler say? Others some, He seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is, for thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what things. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear, notice this, uh, some new thing. Now go with me to verse number 30. Verse number 30. And let's read it together now. You ready? And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Uh, the time, my message is this, what God demands, what God demands. God does make demands of us, and he says, this is what you're supposed to do. This is what he's supposed to do. Now, even though he commands us, doesn't mean we always obey him, but we're supposed to. And so we're going to talk about tonight here, preach about this, what God demands. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Now, Father, thank you again for the opportunity to be in church on this Sunday night. It's a special time for us, and Lord, we just thank you so much that Uh, We're able to meet here and been able to for many, many years now. And Lord, we're thankful that when we first started, we opened up a King James Bible and we preached from its pages. And here almost 40 years later, we're still opening up King James Bible and we're still preaching from its pages. Lord, I'm glad there are people. There were people then. I'm glad there's people tonight that want to hear the word of God. And I pray that you'll speak to us this evening from your word. Help us to understand this great truth in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The Apostle Paul, what a great Christian he was, and what a faithful man he was. And uh, all the way through his life after he got saved, he was a pretty rotten mess before he got saved. But uh, God saved him and just shows me once again that God's able to save uh, the most wicked people you could ever think of. Uh, never give up hope never give up hope. God could save people. He was able to save the apostle Paul. Of course, he wasn't Paul. At, they didn't call him Paul at that time. It was Saul. But uh, uh, you, th- you think about how that God saved that man. And, and here he was, he's awaiting now. We, as we read there in verse number 15, he was waiting for Silas and Timotheus. They were going to come to be with him. So in the process of this time of him waiting for these men to come with him, he looked and he saw, as we read in verse number 16, that uh, as he waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city, the city of Athens, saw the city wholly given to idolatry. And uh, uh, it, was, it was something that really bothered him. And I, I, I kind of I think that uh, well, when it says that, he, that his spirit was stirred in him, I, I believe this. I believe he was burdened, but I believe mean, he was angry. I tell you what, the devil angers me. False doctrine angers me. It, it burdens me that it's being taught a lot of times. But I tell, i am just—I just—I just get angry about it. I, I, I'm mad when someone goes. You say, "Well, you shouldn't be that way." You talk about telling someone the false truth, the false instead of truth. You, talk, you mean I mean, there's not a problem when people are saying a lie and and covering up? I mean, I, you know, people say, well, you need to be kind of a little bit more kinder, you know. Let me tell you something. If someone is telling folks you could be good enough to go to heaven, it ought to make us angry. I don't go beat anybody up, all right? I don't do that. But the thing is, it ought to anger us because it's causing folks to die and go to hell. And say, well, I don't know if it does. Well, there's only one gospel and only one way to heaven, and it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so... I believe that the Apostle Paul was... Yeah, I believe he was burdened, but he was angry. He was angry, but I'm glad he did have the burden enough to do something about it. You know, maybe sometimes we ought to get angry enough to get a burden. Maybe that's what we need to do. But while I was, while I was sitting there waiting for these men, he was stirred and and, uh, and uh, because they the people were given to idolatry, and yet that is not what the Apostle had been preaching. In fact, if we look down again... In verse number 18, the Bible says, uh, you know, the, in, go to the middle part of the verse where it says, uh, uh, What will this babbler say? Other some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods. And I can imagine this. Evidently, these people weren't listening very well. They didn't know what the Bible said and what, what was being preached was the gospel. And yet, it, to them, it was something foreign. And so what happens, the last part of the verse says, because he preached, and we know what he preached, he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. He was preaching to them the right thing, and so the Apostle Paul confronted the Jews, these people of Athens, he confronted them about what, uh, about what they were believing and he confronted them still preaching to them Jesus and the resurrection, and he, he, he went to the synagogues, as we read there in verse number 17, therefore disputed he the, in, the, in the synagogues with the Jews. And so you think about this, he was willing to go to the synagogues and tell these folks because they were believing something that was false. But not only that, the Bible says some devout people, I believe these were the Greeks. And he was saying, I'm, I'm talking to everybody. Let me say this, everybody needs the gospel. Everybody does. And I, and, and I see he's been preaching and, and, and telling folks this. And, 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 and I notice how he did it. Verse 17, the last part says, and, and in the market daily with them that he met uh, with them that he met uh, with him. And uh, so th- those folks there, he was dealing with them on a daily uh, 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 way. He was, he, was, he was talking to these folks every opportunity. Yeah, he was a devout man, but he had the right things. There was other devout people, but they were all messed up. There's a lot of devout Catholics today, a lot of devout Mormons. Let me tell you something, being devout about something is, is not necessarily a good thing if you're devout about something that is wrong. We ought to be devout Christians. You better make sure you have the right thing in your head and make sure you believe the right things, and we can know that because we have the Word of God. And so this, this city here, the, the, the apostle was giving, the, uh, giving a witness of the one and only true God, and, of course, the Greeks and, and, and many others, they, they believed in many different gods. And uh, so he was preaching to them. Now, the Athens was a place known for a lot of uh, philosophers. There was a lot of philosophy going on. It is not, nothing new because it's that way even today. People say, well, my philosophy is, and I don't care what your philosophy is. I care what the Bible says. But they had philosophers in their day, and people would come and listen to them. And that's, that's why I, I can understand they're saying, why is this man bringing us some strange thing, talking about some other gods? Because they've been listening to the false teaching. They've been listening to the philosophy of men. But there were two special groups there, main groups, I should say, of philosophers. We read that, in verse number 18. The Epicureans and the Stoics uh, were there. The Epicureans were materialists. They believed that there was no life after death. Let me tell you something. There is life after death. And, uh, you know, people say, well, I don't believe there is. They will someday. and there is life after death. But these Epicureans, they didn't believe there was life after death. They believed in the existence of little G-O-D-S, little gods. They believed there was many different gods. Let me tell you again, I think we all know this. Even the children in here know this, don't you, kids? That there is only one God, and it's a capital G. And uh, so they believe there's many gods. They believe these gods were unconcerned about what was taking place on earth. So they had these false gods and their gods, their their gods are thinking they really care. You know, we do whatever we want to, we'll live how we want to. And, And I think a lot of people, they have the idea that our one and only true God is kind of that way too. He doesn't care. God cares. He's given us a book about things we're supposed to do and things we're not supposed to do. So that was the Epicureans, and their main goal in life was happiness and pleasure without, uh, with the avoidance of pain and the fear of death. They wanted to put it out of their mind. They wanted to think about things that were positive, the power of positive thinking. But let me tell you something. You can think. You'll be all right. But if you're not saved, you'll still go, go to a devil's hell. And so there was the Epicureans. There were the Stoics also. They were pantheists in belief. They they believed that God was found in all nature and human beings. I've run into a few folks like that, haven't you? I find God in the trees. I find God in the woods. Well, you know what? God is everywhere. But we don't worship the trees. We don't worship the stones or anything else. We worship God Almighty. And uh, they, they, they believe in self-taught, self-discipline, and their own self-sufficiency, like they don't need anyone else, they don't need God, all they could, they could do everything themselves, and uh, that of course is, is, uh, is contrary to the Word of God. But the Apostle Paul was revealing to them the real true God. He was preaching to them something that was, it didn't go with what they've been learning, because they've been listening to these philosophers. Rather than listening to God, may I warn you this. Be careful what you listen to on television, on the Internet, and any books you may pick up. Not everything's good. Not everything's good. Not everything's right. That's why we need to, you know, the best way to know what is right is to study that which is right. You say, what's that? King James Bible. You don't, you don't, need, you don't need the other versions, perversions. You just need this, this Bible here and read it and you can find out what, it, what is Right? And so the Apostle Paul began to preach to these folks, and he was trying to tell them some things, and they wanted them to know some things about God. Look down verse number 24, and we find some of the things that he, that he was telling them about. Verse 24 says, God that made the world and all things therein. And uh, uh, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwell not in temples made with hands. You know what what Paul was saying? He said, let me tell you about this God, our God, the one and true God. He is a powerful God. And uh, he began to talk to him about his power. And I still believe in creation, not evolution. Amen. And God created everything. God has that great power. He was able to do it. He spoke and things came into existence. You say, I can't comprehend it. Well, you're not God. You know, we have this idea if I can't do it, it can't be done. No, God can do things we cannot do. He could do things we can't understand, but he's, because He's God and the power of God. We know also that God's a spirit. Verse 24 also talks about that, seeing that He is Lord uh, of heaven. Or, or here, uh, I, I missed it there. Verse 24 again God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. And uh, so he is a spirit. He's also self-sufficient. Look at verse number 25. Neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. You know, God doesn't need anything. Why? He's self-sufficient. Yeah, he's, he, 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 he has need of nothing because he is everything. But he also, uh, the apostle Paul went on telling him about God's provision. In verse number 20, 25, the Bible says, neither is worship with men's hands as though he needeth anything, seeing he giveth, now here it is, see, then he giveth to all life and breath and all things. So we know that God is, uh, uh, gives us everything we need. Uh, I like that, that little song we sing, uh, Christ is all I need, all, all I need. You know, I'm thankful that, that he is, and that's the truth, isn't it? He is all that I need. He is all that you need too, by the way. And uh, so the, the apostles showing the folks about this, I believe he showed about God's purpose. Look at verse number 27, that they should seek the Lord if happily. They might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. He's talking about God's purpose, that man should, man should seek him. And, uh, you know, I, I wish folks would seek the Lord today. It seems like everybody wants to run from God today. We need to seek him. By the way, not only lost people, we as saved people need to seek him. We need to follow him. And uh, he was talking about that. He was talking about man being fashioned by the Lord. Verse number 28. For in him we live and move and have our being as certain also of our own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. How that God fashioned us. God made us uh, the way we are. And again, talking about creation and how that God made. And by the way, God only made a man and a woman. Just throwing that out to you there. And uh, I was reading a little bit today of some news articles there. And and, uh, I saw there's a Christian school going through a lot of problems down in Florida right now. Because they said that that they were not allowing children coming in identified as a lesbian or homosexual. Uh, They didn't allow anyone to come in that identified as a different gender other than male or female. And I say, amen. There's a lot of people upset about that. There was a time everybody believed that. But... The Apostle Paul is trying to get folks to understand some things, and so he was very moved over this city of idolatry. But back to verse number 16, we find how bad it was. It says, they were, and his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Wow. That's a pretty bad situation, wasn't it? Paul was not going into a place where there's just a few people who didn't agree with him. He was going to a place where they were given to idolatry. It, it was, it was I, mean, I mean, can you imagine how it must have been? He's going to the city, he looks at it, and he's been preaching the gospel. So what's he do when he comes into the city? He preaches the gospel. And I have to say this, he was a very brave man. Knowing the city was wholly given over to this idolatry. And yet he, and yet what happens, he goes in, he didn't compromise his message well, thank the God for men of God that will not compromise the message. So, well, you know, we got some rich folks in. Rich folks need the truth, too. Rich folks, medium rich folks, unrich folks, and poor folks. Everybody needs to hear the gospel and needs to, needs to realize they need to follow the word of God. But these people, this, this city was wholly given over. And Paul didn't compromise his message because the fact of the matter was the apostle Paul only had one message. It was the gospel message. And I'm not saying he didn't have any different sermons, but the message is all the same. It was the message of Jesus Christ. He had the true message. And the message is, though, what seems, it just kind of underlines the fact that the the city was wholly given unto unto this idolatry was, was what we find there in verse number 20. It says, notice what the people said, for thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. I'm like, folks, these things are strange to you? Do you know that the sermons that I preach, if I went to a, some churches in, the, in America today, they would say, you're preaching something strange. I'm glad this morning people didn't come to me afterwards. Boy, that was strange. Now, they may think I'm strange, but my message is not strange. And if it's strange to you, something's wrong. Not with the message, because it's the message from the Word of God. Something wrong is with us when we, all of a sudden the truth seems strange to us. And so they're saying, you've got some strange message going on here. And they said, if without bringing certain strange things to our ears, we would know, therefore, what these things mean. They said, listen, we don't even know what you're talking about. I'm telling you, that's how bad it was. You know, there are churches all around, even our own area, one day preach the gospel, never mention the gospel anymore. They don't mention it. They preach a social gospel. And now if you went in there and preached the gospel, people say, what is he talking about? What's that strange thing? Sometimes folks come visit church. And all of a sudden they got a preacher that's going to preach to them the truth. And Maybe they went to a place where this guy, you he, know, he went in and he tickled their ears a little bit and told them what they wanted to hear, and it was all nice. Everybody can live the way they want to and, 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 and feel comfortable in their sin. And all of a sudden the truth seems strange to them. I'll tell you what, it's a sad thing when it begins. When And here, here's the thing, too. I believe Christians should be careful about this. You get so backslidden, the truth will bother you to the point you're going to think, that's crazy. Let me tell you something the truth is not crazy, it's something we need to listen to. And so it seems strange to the people. And I thought, you know, the world doesn't like it, it seems strange to them. And even sometimes Christians have a problem with the message. But, you know, that's, you say, preacher, how does that happen? Why does those things happen that people all of a sudden, they can't handle the gospel anymore? Sin is the problem. Sin is the problem. I think that's what was happening here. They're given wholly unto idolatry. Idolatry is sin. You see, if it comes to a place, you're sitting in church, and all of a sudden the, the true preaching of the word of God begins to bother you, understand there's something in your life that ought not be there that's causing that to happen. Hey, man. You say, preacher, what is it? Well, I think it was the same thing that was happening there in Athens. Idolatry. Idolatry. We were living in a time in America, and it's always been that way, but we're really seeing it, I think, really strong. You know, there used to be a time that uh, fundamental Bible-believing churches were, I mean, they were all the biggest churches around. It's not happening like that anymore. You know why? Idolatry, I believe. We've got so many idols in our lives, and you say, preacher, what's an idol? An idol is this, anything that comes between you and God. Your car could be an idol. I, I remember a guy said, uh, you know, I'm not coming to church. Here's, here's why. Because the buggies are pulled by horses who leave things on the road. He said, I cleaned my car on Saturday." And I don't want to drive it down to the church because I'll get manure on the side of my car. God have pity on that. I laughed at him. I said, you've got to be kidding me. And he wouldn't go to church because he didn't want to come to church because there was manure on the road. Now, I don't like manure on the road either. I mean, I, I go around it. I've run many a people off the road trying not to run in manure. <laughs> Some of those poor Mennonite kids on bicycles, watch out, there's manure, I got to be careful, watch out for me. But I'm thinking, you know, a you know, car could become an idol. Our kids can become an idol. And I'm pretty sure they get tired. They get tired at home too. You know, well, you just don't want to bring the baby out. You know, there's a nursery. There's people watch your children for you. There, You know, we got to be careful. You know, the kid's coming, you know, and, and they, they come into church. And even as they get bigger, you know, well, you know, they're just kind of, they just really don't want to go. It is amazing when they whine and don't want to go to church. Parents say, well, they don't want to go. You can't make them. But on Monday, they do. They make them go to school. Get out there and get on that bus. You know, I'll threaten your life. But on Sunday, you oh, know, well, okay. And then the wife, the wife, and the husband fight over who get who gets to stay home with the child, because they're backslidden too. Our jobs become idols. We've got to have money. True. You know, I mean, think about this. Did you hear? You know, the politicians are saying now when we go to the gas station, we think we ought to start thinking this: we get a hundred dollar a month raise because the price of gasoline has come down. They're looking at it as now we got a raise. It's like saying, you know what? You got cancer, but only half as much cancer, so be happy. Isn't that stupid? That's our stupid world today. But you know what? There's idols. We, we, just, we, just, we just, these idols come and people worshiping them, and I believe idol worship's running rampant. You know, people say, uh, they say, well, you know, I just can't go to church. And I, I'll guarantee you this is the reason why. They got an idol in their life. They said, well, you know, I, 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 I just don't have time to read my Bible. We'll put the idols away. You'll have time to read your Bible. You know, I mean, it's like this. If you don't have time for your Bible, don't have time for the news. You know, don't have time for the sports. Amen. Well, how am I going to know if the, if, the, if the pirates won or or who else, you know? You don't have to know that. Spend time. I'm not saying it's wrong to not know what's going on around the world, but I'll tell you this. Make sure you make time. Don't have an idol. An idol comes between you and God. There's something keeping you from the Word of God, something keeping you from church. It's an idol. You're just like the people in Athens. Get rid of it. well, preacher, I don't witness because I'm afraid someone may laugh at me. Well, evidently, you're your own idol. It's hard to find churches today that will even preach this book. And one of the reasons why is preachers are afraid of people uh, stepping on the idol's toes. And all of a sudden, they, 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 they hear the truth, and it seems like something strange to them. Well, what's the Lord say? Go down to verse 30. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now, here it is, but now, God, but now commandeth all men everywhere to do what? Repent. Repentance. You say, what is he talking about here? I believe the Apostle Paul, he's been preaching to these people. He warned, told them about God, told them about God's power and who God is and everything. He's been preached to them the truth, and they're having a little bit of problem with it. But he comes down to the nitty-gritty here, if you will. And he says to them, he gets down to the part of saying, you know what? You all need to make a decision. I made a decision one day, August 11, 1971. Most important decision in all my life, except to Jesus Christ, my Savior. As a teenage boy, I made a decision in my life to surrender my life to the Lord. And I'll be honest with you, I think that was my second most important decision I ever made in my life. I thank the Lord that we can make decisions. You know what God wants? He wants us to make decisions. So, Preacher, why do we have why do we have altar calls? Time for us to make a decision. Why don't why do we just why don't we just, you know, when you when you're done preaching, just pray, say amen, and let's sing our song and we go home. Because I think we need to make some decisions. When Liberal churches aren't going to have, dis- have altar calls. Why? They don't see a need to make a decision. The Apostle Paul was trying here to preach these folks what God said, and God said oh, you need to repent. That means making a decision, making a decision, message to repent. And, 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 and the thing about it is he commanded all men everywhere to do this. You know, someone said this about repentance, said man is born with his back towards God, but, and repentance is turning square around. I think it was Moody said that. We don't hear much about that repentance anymore. But I believe this, God still wants us to turn around and face him. Turn around and face him. In other words, what? Turn from our sin. I said, preacher, can I be saved and still do this and do that? Yeah, you can. But you know what God said he wants us to do? Turn from that. He wants all of us to repent. Why was Athens so bad? Why was Athens so given into idolatry? Because they weren't willing to repent. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, probably some people say, well, okay, we'll, we'll take a little bit of what you're saying, Paul, and a little bit of what they're saying, and God's saying here through the Apostle Paul. You need to repent. That means turn from it. Turn from it. These Athenians had to make a decision. They had to decide what they're going to do. They had to decide what they were going to believe. They had to decide that what they were believing was wrong. You know, that's one of the hard things when you're dealing with people who believe false teaching. Is to get them to a place of realizing they are wrong. You know, you, you, you've heard this many times. Well, this is the way we've always believed. But if you always, you always believe the, the moon was made out of cheese, it don't make it cheese. Doesn't do it. Isn't that what the moon supposed to be? They say, moon made out of cheese. All right. I wish it was chocolate cake instead. But yeah, I mean, I mean, some people believe the stupidest things in the world. And you know, these false, false teaching and these cults and Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, all the rest of them there, they believe something. They don't care what the Bible says. They only, this is what I've been taught. False teaching. They need to make a decision that they're wrong. That's a hard thing to get people to make the decision about. But still what needs to happen. You said, Preacher, what's, is there any motive for us to repent? I believe there is. I believe one of the motives for repentance is found in verse number 31. Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained whereof he hath given assurance unto all men and that he hath raised him from the dead. You know, there's a motive for repentance. What is it? It's, it's this. There's going to be a judgment someday. The Lord's going to judge the world, and we are all going to stand before God and, 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 and be judged. Now listen, if you're saved, you're not going to be judged whether or not you're going to go to heaven. That's taken care of at the moment of salvation. Our rewards and our works are going to be judged according to how our life was, and according to this book here, we're going to be judged someday someday. And I believe that, that the motive for our repentance is this, that I am going to meet God someday. I need to turn from something and turn to Him. Judgment. I believe it's said also in righteousness. He's going to judge the world in righteousness. But I'll tell you what, I think a lot of the world has no idea what righteousness is today. But the Bible tells us what it is. In fact, He is righteous. You want to get an idea of it. And he's righteous, but also we find in verse number 30, 31 that he's the judge, that he's the judge. And uh, uh, it says, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness. You know, uh, God's the judge. What ought to cause us to want to repent? Why, the judge. We're going to stand before him someday. Huh? Uh, I thank the Lord I've not had to go to court yet. I don't want to. I don't want to stand before a judge. Because because here's the thing, he has the authority, I don't. And what he says matters, what I say probably doesn't matter much. And one of these days we're going to stand before God, we'll want to give our little smart-ass answer, but God's going to say, no, you just be quiet, I'm the judge. And his ruling will be exactly right. Well, that makes you stop the thing, doesn't it? He said, well, I just don't see anything wrong with it. And really, where does it say that in the Bible? That it meant, well, since you don't see anything wrong with it, it must be okay. There's a lot of people doing things. That, you know, I said about one time, uh, a man, he, he, was, he had a church, and it, was, it had false doctrine in the church. And uh, what happened one day, he said, told his wife, he says that God spoke to my heart about divorcing you and marrying another woman in the church. Now, I don't know about you, but I not found that in the Bible. He said, where'd he get something like that? That's the way he thought. And he went through with it. You know what a sad thing, what some people believe. You know, I told you about the Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and I can't remember which one is it. The, uh, the Mormons, I think, they believe that Jesus yeah, Jesus was a brother of Lucifer. Where in the world did they get that? False doctrine. Better make sure we, we listen to the right things. The Bible says in John 5.22, also that there's a judge. The Bible says 5.22 in John, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all things unto the Son. Well, who's the Son of God? Jesus. Listen to what it says verse 27. And hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. So Jesus will judge. He has that authority. You say, well, preacher, how do you know that? How do you know that? Because the Bible tells me so. You know, isn't it wonderful as a Christian? We don't have to quote everybody else. We just need to look and see what the Bible says. I mean, really, it's so simple. It's all right there in our hands tonight. The Bible says in John twelve, forty eight, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. Here it is. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. We're going to be judged by the word of God. Now think about this. You think it's going to work with God when we say, well, I didn't know that. Oh, God would have to say, is, did you have a Bible? Well, well yeah. Uh, it was there. That's one thing about God. You know. I think about folks before they had all the scripture, that was tough. You and I have no excuse because we have, listen to this, all of the scripture. I didn't say everything about God because not everything is in there about God. But one of these days, because no books, can, no, all, uh, books in this world could not contain everything about God. But God made sure everything we need to know is in the book for us tonight. So, a preacher, I just, I just want to go around and find out all these different groups here and see what they believe. Why don't you go in your Bible and see what God says? That'll save us a lot of problems. How was it that these people are so involved in idolatry because they're listening to the Stoics and the Epicureans and they're listening to their philosophy and thinking, boy, that's smart. And they thought they were smart because of their philosophy. Look at our universities today. They think they're so smart, and yet they don't know what gender people are. Don't make sense. So, what's God demand? Repentance. Repentance. God commands all people to repent. Now, here's the thing if someone is to repent, they've got to be deeply convicted about their sin, or they never will repent. Amen. Amen. Deeply convicted. You say, well, how in the world can I be convicted? Listen to the truth. And if you're saved, the Holy Spirit will convict you. But I believe sometimes you get to a place where you don't hear the Holy Spirit anymore. I'm not saying he left you. You don't lose your salvation. But I think you can get to a place you don't hear him anymore. There's a lot of people today who say, well, I just don't see. I don't know. Here's the thing. Unless a person is really convicted. They're not going to repent. Now, I'm not saying people won't feel bad about sin. People can feel bad about sin and not repent. People can feel bad, yet I think feeling bad is not conviction. It's not conviction. They feel bad. Yeah, you know, it's it's like this. You know, you ever see kids like that? You know, don't do that, and you yell them. Oh, I'm sorry. And what do they do? Five minutes later, they're doing it again. They weren't convicted. They just felt bad. They felt bad because they got caught. Huh? I don't. Y'all remember that when you were kids, don't you? When you got you know you got caught, my brother, my mom would say, "You guys, you guys wrestling again?" Oh, sweat dripping off our face. Our faces all red. And she says, you were resting in the living room while we were gone, weren't you? Oh, no, no. And then we get in trouble over it. Oh, we promise we'll never do it again. And you know what we meant. Until you go away again. <laughs> right? We felt sorry we got caught. That's not repentance. That's just feeling sorry about it. You know, we, 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 we have this idea repentance is saying I'm sorry, but I don't find that in the word of God. Acknowledging one's sin does not necessarily mean a person has repented. You say, All right, preacher, I've sinned. I've sinned. Okay, I've sinned. Yeah, yeah, we all we all know we have. But we sometimes continue in that sin. Here's someone, you know, they're drinking liquor, and I say, Man, I know I shouldn't be drinking liquor. And I say, I'm convicted about it. No, they feel sorry about it. If they're convicted about it, they'll repent. Amen. Amen. So I just need the willpower. You know what? You get that willpower when you're convicted about it. When you get to the place that you're tender once again, when God speaks to your heart about something, you get those things right with Him. I believe there is an acknowledgement that comes with repentance, but there can but there, there there can be acknowledgement without repentance. And you say, man, you know you sin. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Preacher, you don't need to preach it. I know I'm wrong. I know I'm doing this. You see what you need? God said we all need to repent. You know, a thief, a murderer, an abuser, a liar may confess their crime if they're caught, but never stop stealing, killing, abusing, and lying. You know, in New York City, they, they're releasing everybody who gets arrested. So about this one guy, cold cocked another fellow. He about killed a man. Put him in a coma. Well, what happened? They rested him, put him back out again. You know, I wonder if the guy went up to the judge and said, I'm sorry, I'm not ever going to do that again. Rested 40 times. And they keep putting him out. You know what? I'd say this. He never came under conviction. You know, oh, I'm sorry. I'm not going to do that ever again. I'm telling you, you've heard that so many times, haven't we? And the criminals and the, and the idea is, you know, the stupid uh, DAs today that are letting people out and say, well, they're really, really sorry about it. And I, I don't believe they ever repented of it. That's why they're repeaters. Same thing in Christians. Well, I'm sorry. Well, I'm glad we're sorry, but we need to repent of it. We need to repent of it. You see, there is a difference. You know, I was thinking about, you know, uh, the difference there, and we could look at some people's lives in the Bible. One was the life of, and I'll use this one, Saul and David. Saul and David. You know, uh, here, here, here's what happened. Did David sin? Sure did, didn't he? So did Saul, didn't he? And let's see what happened. Saul was sorry. He didn't want to lose his kingship. David was repentive. Difference. Let's go to the New Testament. About Peter and Judas. Remember Judas took the silver, betrayed our Lord. What did he do? He went and he threw it away, threw it back, didn't he? And he was sorry about it. But I don't believe he repented. He was just sorry, felt bad about it. Peter, he denied the Lord, didn't he? It was sin. But you see what happened to him? He turned, he repented. He went on. David and Peter are the perfect picture of what we need to understand about repentance. It will come to that place of saying, you know what, I am, I am turning from that sin. I don't know what it is tonight. Maybe God is putting on your heart about something in your life. I'm saying this, don't just be sorry. Don't just say, God, I'm sorry about it. Lord, help me to do better. What we need to do is repent. And repentance is this, turning from something to something or somebody. The Athenians needed to repent just like everyone else. But their problem was idolatry. You see, the fact of the matter is, the Bible tells us this that we can't have two masters. You know, when we're only sorry, we're trying to have two masters, and you can't do that. Repentance says, I'm turning from one thing to another. It's turning to God, it's turning to the Lord instead of that sin. That I'm turning from it. I'm not going to do that anymore. God, I'm turning to you. I'm repenting of that. That's what repentance is. Matthew six twenty four says, no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. God said you can't do it. And here's the thing. We try. We try to do it. We try to say, man, you know, I think I, can, I think I can balance this out. You really can't. That's why a lot of times folks get so backslidden, they get away from God, and they keep thinking, and you know what? They know they shouldn't be that way, but they just carry on that way because of no repentance. I believe we can turn from something that God lays on our hearts about. We can turn to him. So this question would be here for us tonight. Do you have any idols in your life? Do you have any idols in your life? You see, these people here, they were they were given wholly to 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 idol worship to idolatry. And it really doesn't say all the things that, that was going on in their life. And we oftentimes, when you think about idolatry, we think about these little statues they have. You know, the Catholics, they have their Marys and and, and the, the, the 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 Buddhists, they have their little little statues of Buddha and things like that. Like I said, sometimes it's a whole lot of different things in our life that's an idol. An idol is anything that comes between us and God. What's keeping you from serving God tonight? What is it you need to turn from? Let me ask you this tonight. Not only is there any idols in your life, but are you finding it more difficult to handle Bible preaching? You know, it's gotten to me throughout the years where we have an evangelist and people go, I don't like him. And the reason is because of something he preached. Now, I'll be honest with you if they preach something other than the Word of God, I'm not having them back. But the thing is, if something bothers us, they go, I'm not going to go and listen to them. Because it stepped on their toes. You think Paul stepped on the toes of the people? My, how he must have. Let me ask you this. Are you having a hard time with Bible preaching? You say, I just don't like when a preacher comes in and he's hard preaching about something. We ought to thank God somebody preaches hard on something. Is there some sin in your life? Is there something tonight you know that is wrong? Here's what you need to do. Don't just confess it. Repent of it. Say, man, I'll come to the altar tonight, and I'll say, God, I, I'm, I know I'm doing something that's not right. I got some bad habits in my life, and there's some things, and, and Lord, I, I know it's not right. Oh, God, help me. Turn. Turn from it. Repent. It's easy, what it says. I mean, it's going to be difficult to turn from something you've been so accustomed to for so long. At least you'll know this. I'm doing what God said. I just have a sneaky suspicion that God will help us with it. I think he will. For the fact of the matter is this. What I titled the message with. It's what God demands. It's what God demands. He said there, as we read there in in verse number 30. In the times of of this ignorance, God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. It's a command. You know, we look at the commands as something important, don't we? And so is repentance. Maybe God tonight speaks speaking your heart about something. You don't have to tell anyone else about it. But you can come to God tonight and say, God, something you laid on my heart. And God, I don't want to just say, confess it. I'm going to turn from it. Because, you know, if you have a problem with lying, you're going to say, God, I'm sorry I lied today. God, you know, just turn from lying. Start telling the truth. That means you're meaning business with God, and he'll give you the help with it too, won't he? Maybe you're here tonight, you're not sure you're saved. Boy, you need to repent of your sins and ask Christ to come in your heart and save you, and he will. He will. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, again this time tonight. Thank you for the word of God, things we're able to learn. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts even now in this invitation. May we not get ready to go home. May we not just take a little nap and rest, but, Father, tonight we might, you might search our hearts and we might be attentive to what you're showing us tonight. May we make some decisions before we go home. I'm sure, Lord, you would have never had me preach this message unless we need to repent about some things. And Lord, maybe some things are starting to happen in our lives that we need to get, get, get in control of right now before it goes too far. So, Father, speak to us tonight. Help us not just be sorry. Help us to repent. In Jesus' name, we pray with our heads bowed, our eyes closed. Maybe you tonight you're not sure you're saved. I want to be anyone tonight and say, Preacher, I don't know that I'm saved. Pray for me. Would you slip your hand up? Anyone tonight? Preacher, I don't know that I'm saved. Tonight, God spoke in your heart. In a moment, the altar is going to be open. And, of course, you can always come. Nobody knows why anyone else comes. Maybe you're just coming tonight. Just say, God, I love you. Thank you for the message. Tonight, there's something you need to repent of. Take care of it tonight before we leave. Father, bless the invitation now. We open it up, Lord, and I pray that your will would be done in every one of our lives tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Should we stand as the song is played? You need to come. The altar is open. If you're not sure you're saved, you come and let us know.